Welcome to African Theological Scholarship Podcast, where scholars of African Christianity and theology discuss their research. Your host is Harvey Quiani, professor of African theology at Liverpool Hope University. Here's today's episode. Welcome, Caleb. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Yeah. Uh, I, trust, I trust that Birmingham is treating you well. So far, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm slowly becoming one of the godfathers of the city. Being here for over twenty over twenty years, over twenty so years in over, Birmingham. Over twenty years, that's right. <laughs> okay. Uh, so I think every every road and and uh, cul-de-sac in in the city, I, I'm I'm quite used to every every part of the city now. They need uh, to give you the keys to the city. They need to. I'm, I'm waiting for the day when the Queen herself comes and says, there you go. <laughs> and, and I think your being in, in, in the UK, in Birmingham for that long, puts you in a very unique position where you, you, you understand the issues that the second generation is dealing with. Yeah. Because yeah. You, you've come from there. Start with yourself and then we go to the work. Yeah. Okay, myself. So um, as, as uh, my good friend, Dr. Harris already mentioned, uh, Caleb, that's, that's my name. I've been in Birmingham for over 20, let, let's put it that way. And, and so I finished my GCSEs, A-levels, uh, college, did some other studies, went on to university, um, I went to Wolverhampton, by the way, first to do some film and media um, stuff. Okay. I, I, I left that one halfway through and went on to theology. Um, went on to theology, uh, did my bachelor's, um, master's, uh, MPhil rather, and then my PhD. So those was at Birmingham? No, no. So my bachelor's was with... Uh, Bangor, but through Matisse Hall. Okay. Um, it was through Matisse Hall. And then when I finished my bachelor's there, uh, thank God with the first, I went on to um, to Cliff. I went to Cliff College, um, of course, accredited by uh, Manchester. As I went to Cliff to do my MPhil, um, which after the, the MPhil, I, you know, I, I, I did well, supervisor was pleased. And they, they had wanted to enroll me on a PhD. But um, after, after I finished with my MPhil, I decided to stay home in Birmingham. And I went over to Prof Anderson, who, um, who was happy to supervise a PhD, um, my PhD journey. And, and it's interesting because Professor Anderson supervised my dad. Um, and that's PhD. And at the time when dad was doing his PhD, I had no idea what a PhD was. We just saw the man reading books after books after books. And, you know, I was in, I was, I think I was finishing GCSEs or college at that time. So all I was interested in was just playing football and messing about, just doing what teenagers do. Sure. <laughs> until, yeah. until I met the, 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 the great Alan Anderson again. And I, I said, well, I'm back here again with you, sir. But this time, uh, I want to do my own PhD, my own research. And sure. it was a great journey. It was a very good journey with him. Yeah. Brilliant. It, was, it, it called me the radical one. It called me the radical Pentecostal. <laughs> <laughs> it's unfortunate he's retired. 
yes he, he could have retired he, he could have supervised your son that's right it would have been amazing <laughs> three generations <laughs> and and you're working at sparkbrook church yes that's right so at the moment um, i'm a sparkbrook i've been there for a while um about 10 years or so now um so that's where i i pastor a local church there in sparkbrook and elim church um and, and that's where i pastor as well and um so that's the church side yes and then of course um you probably would would ask but while I pastor the church I also work at the uh Birmingham Christian College sure. um, um as the academic dean um at the moment can you say something about the Birmingham Christian College uh, all of people remember it as Birmingham Christian College before it became yeah. Church of Pentecost College That's right. Yeah. So yes, the, the Birmingham College. We the Church of Pentecost took over. I think it's six or seven years now after sort of the old college um, uh, went through a phase and had to close, uh, and then the Church of Pentecost took over six or seven years ago. So we've been here. We've been part of the journey. Um, yourself, you've been part of the journey um, of of BCC for, for many years, um, and. And thankfully, you know, with, with, with of course, the hard work and the grace of God, we have just got our accreditation with um, Newman University, um, which is now we completed. We've gone through the whole process, and so we're fully accredited um, college now offering a bachelor's um, in theology. So we're doing leadership, church leadership, and missional leadership. And th- those are the two tracks that we offering um, from this September 2020. Um, okay. So yeah, BCC has gone through has gone through a lot of changes, both structurally, academically, um, and then infra- infrastructure wise. You know, the places also changed a lot. So if anybody's watching, listening, who uh, knows or, or, or knew of BCC, come in and have a look because there's a lot of changes, and they are good changes now. Yeah, different place now. And, and and of course, just for our listeners, Birmingham mm. Christian College is what was the Crowther Hall. That's right. Um, that was uh, yeah. run by CMS for quite some time. Yes. Training missionaries to go to Africa. That's right. Now the Church of uh, Pentecost is training. Pentecost is, yeah. Training African missionaries to work in yeah. Europe. Yeah, that's But right. Let's get to your PhD work. What was the journey like? It was an interesting journey. I think when, um, even though my dad had done it and a few friends had done it, um, I think the, the the head that wears the crown knows how the crown, the heavy, how heavy the crown is. Yes. And so, unless you've actually um, walked, you know, in in that journey, you don't really know exactly how it is. But uh, thankfully, I think. I remember when I was starting, you know, yourself, you were around, um, another good friend and colleague of mine, Dr. Lord, um, the principal here, is, is always been around. My own dad, who what was been through the journey, um, you know, so in terms of advice, help, and support, I, I wasn't short of that. But of course, there were moments where you just feel a bit lonely, you, you feel a bit lost in there because you you get so much information and then you read so much and then you're thinking, okay, where do I stand? Where do I go? I thought it was this, but now I'm not sure. 
Um, and then, of course, you know, I'm sure everybody who's gone through the, the PhD journey will, will have those moments where you go sit in a library from morning till night and you've only done 200 words. <laughs> yeah. And then you come back home and, and family's asking, how, how, how did you get on? 200. Yeah. And they look at you and go, are you crazy? You've wasted the whole day, 200 words, you know. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all those moments count because they're, they're part of the journey. Sure. Um, and, and I remember one, one advice, you know, that a good friend gave me, you know, that good friend incidentally helped me to be of himself. When I first started, he said, you know, keep reading and keep writing. Um, and, and, and that's what I, that's the advice I give to students now when, when I meet them doing a the research. Say, sure. you know, this is an advice I got keep reading, keep writing, you know, because you no know, matter what, as long as you write something, sure. you come back to it and, you know, edit it, chuck it, add new, take away, but sure. keep reading and keep writing. And, and that, that helped me through. How did you come to decide on, on the subject of your research or your research question? Yeah, so that was a very interesting one. At the, I think at the very start of the research, I, I, I give a brief background on that. Um, I, when we first came here, um, to when I first came to Jamaica parents here in the UK, uh, there was no church of Pentecost in Birmingham. There was no branch in Birmingham at the time. And so we'd go to London um, and uh, fellowship with the church of Pentecost from time to time while we're still here um, with the Ealing Church. Um, so I, I started, I made friends there um, and, and started that sort of conversation that before we started the Church of Pentecost in our house, in the student house in Birmingham. And so the, the thesis really, the, the problem um, came to me towards the end of my MPhil. Um, because when I was doing my MPhil on the um, spirit practices and baptism of the Holy Spirit and practices and the implications of it in the Church of Pentecost in the UK, I, I realized I was mainly talking to the adults, the first generation. Um, and so I, I got to a point where I thought, hang on, where, where, are, my, where are my mates? Where are the, the guys that I, I used to you know, see in London when I used to go to church there? And even though I kept in touch with, with some of them, because you know, as time goes on, you lose some friends, you gain more or others. Um, I actually realized that half of them had left the church. Um, okay. And these were, these were guys that we used to go to youth meetings with. So when there were the occasional youth conferences, or youth weekends, when I traveled down to London, these are the guys I'll be, um, you know, in, in the youth language, chilling with um, in, in that sense. And, and they're gone. So towards the end of my field, that became a huge burden. Um, you know, in terms of why have they gone and where are they? Um, and so that became sort of the idea that the problem that I wanted to go and, and dig out more, sure. find out what is happening to them. And then by default, find out what is happening to the youth um, in the church. And so the, the actual thesis, the thesis title was a bit difficult trying to shape the title because um, I struggled through the first couple of years. There was an element of the spirit um, because when I started the conversations, um, the, the, the young folk were, you know, they kept saying that the, the parents 
keep talking about the spirit and the praying about the evil spirit. And, you know, so that spirit factor was very strong in the conversations. The, the adults, the first generation, um, would always also reference to this, make references to the spirit on, on nearly everything. Um, so I knew the spirit was key. So the spirit had to come in there. And the focus was the second generation as well. So my MPhil was the first generation and then the PhD research was the second generation. So I combined both um, and, and spirit, the, the spirit and transition, um, second generation Pentecostals from the Church of Pentecost. All right. Um, so what did you find? Um, what did I find? I, I found that even though most of the the, the 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 people that I sort of grew up with sure. um, had left, and 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 that was that was a fact because these were people I I knew personally, so it wasn't a third hand, second hand information. Mm-hmm. But it, it was I found that it was difficult to actually trace overall in the Church of Pentecost in UK how many people have left. That is because the the overall statistics of the church is constantly increasing. So year on after year, in fact, since I finished my my thesis um, two years ago now, um, I last checked and and the stats the church is is grown. So the numbers are still increasing. What is interesting is the increase of numbers do not reflect those who are leaving. And so, for example, you have... If you if you if you took the report on the face value, it's great because everybody wants increase. But then if you took, for example, one local parish and then you ask the the the, the pastor there or, or the elders there, how many of these are new converts? Um, m- most often the answer is none. Okay. So the growth has come about as um, mainly because of migration. So a lot of folk coming from Italy, from uh, Belgium, um, Holland, etc. Now, in there you will see that there are there, there, there are youth and there are teenagers. There are names of people who have stopped coming to church, but their names are still on there. And the reason is that they are still praying for them and they are still chasing them to come back. Okay. Um, I'm not sure at what point they actually strike the name off because these young people, their parents are still in the church mm-hmm. and their parents don't even want their names to be stricken off because they are still praying for them. In their eyes, they are prodigal. They've gone, they will come back. Okay. But the, the, the interesting thing I found is this, that they haven't left the church and they haven't left the faith. Let, let me put it that way. They haven't left the Christian faith. I, I didn't find one person who had left the church of Pentecost who had left the faith, the Christian faith. All the people who had left in, in, in my research, um, I know others who have a different view, but in my research, all those who had left had actually gone to another church. Oh, really? Yeah. They had actually gone to another church. And so um, in, in chapter six, seven of my, of my work, I, I go into the secularization debate and discussion sure. um, where I say that for now, 
and and I'm I'm cautious because that's that's all it is for now. The secularization um, debate is not affecting the COP um, second generation in a negative way for now. There, there's an interesting um, point which is because following following on from my work, I want to now go into the third generation because that's a different thing altogether, and, and sure. that's something that I'm 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 I'm, um, I'm going to start to look into. But the second generation are still very much in the faith, but just not in the, the, the parents' the church, church, the Church of Pentecost. They, they go to other churches. So, And did they give you reasons for, for this? They did. They did. And, and that was the interesting part. So this is where in the, in the research I came across this word or expression called AF. AF, okay. AF. Okay. <laughs> and, and most of them just said the church is too AF. And, and so my full-on question, of course, would be, what is AF? Sure. And none of them came with the, with the same. So I didn't have two people come with the same definition of AF. Okay. But in, in, in general, what AF is, is they find elements in the church which they consider as too African, Okay. And does not reflect the culture and the society they live in in Britain. So it, that is from the clothes that people may wear, their parents may wear. It may be the way the parents speak. It may be the language they use in prayer. It may be the way they dance and the way they preach. Um, you know, so the AF just comprises anything that is seen as too African to the point where uh, you cannot identify with in Europe. <laughs> really? Um, so that, and, and that was a concept that was huge. I, I wasn't familiar with that until I started the research. Um, and then it's like, oh, why, so why don't you come to the church anymore? Oh, we still half, we still half men. And then, you know, for those who are in, in the church, you ask them, why are you frustrated in the church? Oh, because there's too many af things going on. I said, what is the af things? Explain the af things going on. Um, you know, so even if the service is too long, yeah. it's because it's too af. It's too African. And, and maybe one of the deacons or elders has spent 10 minutes, 15 minutes doing the announcements, the, the notices, which the, the youth are saying, we could have done that in a clip for three minutes. Sure. You know, they could have sent that on our on our WhatsApp, on a Snapchat, on Instagram. So all these things that the church is not incorporating as much, they see the church as being half. Um, and, and it's frustrating them. So that was a key reason. I mean, the other thing was, of course, the spirit factor, which was, you know, key, that the, the first-generation parents, first-generation ministers, the prayer topics, the preaching is mainly about the evil spirits. Um, so, for example, the Church of Pentecost, most of the churches have what they call prayer clinics. Okay. That is their prayer, their prayer meetings. And Is this the, the one that happens on Monday mornings? That's right, on Monday mornings, a lot of them on Monday mornings. Okay. Now there are a few which happen on, on Tuesday and Wednesday in the different cities. All right. Um, I know Coventry have this on a Wednesday, for example. Okay. So, um, and when you go there, it's full of first-generation um, parents and, and, and members. And is this uh, idea of prayer clinics uh, an, an import from Ghana? 
It, it is an import from Ghana. Okay. Um, the name, the name is not necessarily from Ghana, but the idea sure. um, of yeah, the idea of, of the prayer is from Ghana. I spoke to one of the the national heads of the church who uh, was here uh, six seven years ago. Um, he actually came up with that name. He he started that sort of concept, the name from South Africa. Um, but he's a, he's a Church of Pentecost minister. But the idea of praying the, the, those times, sure. um, yeah. Um, and when you go to most of the prayer meetings, it's full of first-generation parents and, and leaders. Sure. Um, and I asked the young people, why don't you go? And, and they said, well, it's not that we don't like prayer. And that's a very interesting thing because when I go to the, the, the churches, the services which are predominantly second-generation, they really do pray. And when I say they pray, you know, with this sort of the same um, passion and, you know, commitment that you see their parents praying. Sure. But they don't pray destroying the work of the evil spirits. So the reason they don't go to the prayer clinics as much is because most of the prayer topics are destroying the work of the evil spirit, destroying the work of the demons and bombarding all the demonic activities. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, Brexit, when I was doing my my research, Brexit was high on the agenda um, as coronavirus is at the moment. Sure. Uh, Brexit was the main thing at the time. And some of them were frustrated that they were not having debates you know, about Brexit and which way should they vote and what should inform their, um, you know, their voting decisions. It was more, you know, praying and breaking the demonic forces, you know, around Brexit. Brexit. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So things like that were frustrating them. The the sermons, the the anecdotes that were being used were all references to Ghana you know, this river God. There's one thing that you find in most um, Church of Pentecost services during the worship, especially first-generation worship, is the one leading the worship would almost make some reference. Remember how far the Lord has brought us when we were in the village without shoes, but by the grace of God, we are now here. Let us lift our hands and worship. And then you see the young people standing there thinking, the Lord has brought me far back only from Clapham, <laughs> only from <laughs> only from from Wembley, you know. So that you know, it's and so it's, it's such references and the thinking. Can we change some of these things? You know, when you know we've been, you know, they they're born here. They've been wearing shoes and sure. flip flops and trainers sure. from when they were sure. born, and they've got milk in the fridge when they want. So they are not connecting. Um, with how far the Lord has brought the first generation in, in terms of worship. So these things were, and, and another key thing I realized was leadership as well, mentoring, um, that the second generation did not feel that they were being empowered and mentored um, to, to, to lead the church. They felt that the parents uh, felt that they were not ready. And indeed, when I spoke to some of the parents, that's the impression I got as well. But some of these second generation are managers, bank managers and, and pharmacists, and they're leading and managing the big, big companies, yeah. yet they are still not seen as ready to lead the church. And they found that very frustrating. Okay. Uh, you said that the second generation is praying as passionately as their parents. Yeah. 
but they are not praying about the same issues that their parents are praying for. No. Or at least they are not, they are not praying against the demonic forces mm. where their parents are, 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 mm. are focusing on them. So yeah. my question is, what then are the second generation praying for? Yeah, that, that, that's a good point. The, 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 the second generation folk, they pray on things that they call practical life. And so, for example, they're praying about what um, career paths that they need to take. Okay. Um, they're praying about what universities that they need to, to go to. Um, and so they bring all these sort of practical life issues into sure. their prayer lives, which, you know, which is absolutely wonderful. When you, when you actually hear them pray, um, it, it's, it's very different because it's, it's almost, you know, Lord, I am at a point where I need to go to uni. Please help me. You know, which uni should I choose? You know, Liverpool, Birmingham, Manchester, I, I need your help. I need your grace. Um, and they are praying into these things. Um, and then they also pray. You hear them praying for, Lord, how can we be, um, you know, how can we help the homeless? I, I heard in one prayer meeting where I'd never heard a young lady, you know, um, pray so passionately about helping the homeless. Um, you know, yeah, and this was, you know, this was one of the churches I, that I used as my, my focus in London. And she was passionate. So I had to... I had a chat with her afterwards and she said, yeah, you know, pastor, this is really something on my heart. We, we're not doing anything for our community. You know, when we come into church, we see the homeless not far from, from this church and we're not helping them. So I just want God to give us the grace and the direction into knowing exactly how to help them. This is a prayer that I never had in the first generation pray. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, the young people, there, there was another case where, Again, another one was praying into um, about the environment, um, and yeah, and, and she said, you know, where, what, what, what should be our response about climate change? Yeah, she says we're not talking about it. We're not doing it. Lord, help us. We need transformation to know what what is your will about this. Where should we? So they are praying to these things that they actually going through, sure. and they are not. You know, they, a few of them said specifically said it's not that we don't believe in the demonic and in evil spirits, but we just don't think that they have the power to do anything unless God gives them. And actually, there's that line in, in the thesis, which is one of my favorite. I, I like that line so much because, you know, they, they, she said it right. She said, it's not that we don't believe in a demonic, but we just don't think they've got power to cause us any harm unless God allows them. Um, so that is how different their prayer lines are. Whereas the parents, you know, when, when the microphones are not working, they are breaking the demonic influence on the microphone, which is not working. <laughs> and, and the young folk are saying, no, you know, let's check the switch. Let's train one of us, take one of us to a sound um, engineering school. That's all it is. It's not about the demons. This is about training. <laughs> so how is the future looking, especially uh, with, with the second generation believing and behaving yeah. the way it is doing? When I started the research, um, halfway through, I was I was really worried about the future of the church. Okay. Um, coming coming to towards the end, I think my worry turned into cautious optimism. Okay. Um, and I say cautious optimism because 
I realized that the second generation still love the Lord. Um, and, and they still are passionate about the faith. And they are finding, in fact, a, a, an article I've written recently on the, on the second generation and the media, they are using the new forms of media um, to try and change, transform the way the church operates. Sure. If the first generation um, give them the room, and, and I think that really is where I'm cautious. So the, the optimism is that they still love the Lord. The cautiousness is, will they be given the room, the platform to do church um, and meet the, the contemporary society? If they are not given that room, then my fear is that the African diaspora church um, will be slowly shifting um, to, to, towards a, a decline, not in the sense of that Christianity will be declining, but the, the African diaspora church as is known now. And maybe that's a good thing. I say that cautiously, that maybe that's a good thing. Sure. Because maybe it needs to decline for a new face of the church to arise. Um, you know, that, that type of Christianity, that type of church need to give way to a new form of church. And I think this is where some of the second generation who are actually starting their own churches, um, you know, maybe breaking through. And, and then bigger churches like the Church of Pentecost, the Redeemed, um, etc., Lighthouse, they would need to be giving, empowering the young people now in their churches um, to work alongside. I spoke to one young man a couple of weeks ago, and he put it in a very nice way. He said, we don't want our parents to sit down. We don't want them to step back. We just want to go alongside them. Um, and, okay. and, and I thought that was brilliant because I was having that conversation with him in my car and I said, what do you guys want? What do you second generation people want? Sure. Um, and, and he said to me, he said, Pastor, we, we don't want our parents to sit down. They've got a lot to teach. They've got a lot to offer. We don't want them to step back. We just want them to bring us along them. So we, we want to go along them side by side, journey together, instead of them saying, you sit down, we are doing it, and then you are the future. They said, no, we don't want to be the future. We want to be the present with them. Um, sure. and, and I think that is the challenge. The churches who don't bring the, the second generation, the third generation along with them will struggle to exist as they're doing now. Um, and, and that's the... That's the, the cautious, cautious optimism that I have, um, you know, for, for, for the church. And, and why do you think the, the parents are reluctant to, to do this? I, I think there's, there's an element of fear. Um, fear that the, the second generation are going to change the church. <laughs> that fear... <laughs> that fear um, hasn't got any grounding or foundation because, as I said, the, the, the young people are still passionate. Um, of course, we, we know the we know the, the the youthful exuberance, you know, which is you know whether Christian or non-Christian, youth youth is youth. Um, but then it, it's giving them that room to say, "Come alongside, let's do it together." 
And, and I kept hearing from the first generation, oh, they're not ready. And you'd be surprised some of the, some of the reasons they gave her. For example, um, one young guy who was leading worship was wearing trainers, pair of trainers and jeans. And one of the deacons told me, because of that, they're not ready. He, he said, you see, this is what I mean. How can you be leading worship in a pair of uh, trainers and jeans? In the church, <laughs> so it was not the content of the worship. It was not, you know, how the presence of God, you know, filled the place, and everybody was in awe of of what was happening. For this guy, the youth is wearing jeans and trainers, and and I said, so what do you expect the youth? So you've got to be in shirt and tie. I said, I said, I agree. I said, I I like my shirt and tie most Sundays. So I, I said, I said, but do you do you mean that without shirt and tie, the Holy Spirit is absent from the church? <laughs> and and he goes, no, but you know the Spirit. You know when you dress up on a Sunday, the Spirit descends in a special way. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so it's these sort of things that you know um, worries me in, in terms of when they say. Um, they're not ready. That the fears are not founded. The fears are not mm-hmm. founded. Um, they they are very much, um, you know, personal opinions and and preferences rather than strong theological emphasis. Um, because one of the things that I did find also I, I made a point of in my thesis was the sort of emerging pneumatology of the young people, um, where okay. the the spirit is not just power um, to cast out demons because for the first generation church, that is huge. It's power over sure. demonic spirits. Sure. For, the, for the young people, it's power to engage in their daily activities. It's power to, to witness, to do missions. The missions that they're doing now is not necessarily studying in the markets and preaching, um, but they believe in, in sort of uh, social friendly missions, um, social media missions, they're doing it in different ways that they believe the spirit is still active there. Um, and, and they are not receiving power to, 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 to pray against demonic forces, but power to do missions in a new way, which, which the parents are not used to. Yeah. I understand you did your research within the Church of Pentecost. Yeah. But by any chance, did you look at what else is happening outside outside the Church of Pentecost in probably the RCCG and other churches? Yeah. yeah. Second generation. Yes, yes, I, I did. So I looked at I looked at the RCCG, especially um a couple of branches in Birmingham. I, I visited them. Um, you know, and, and they were very, 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 very helpful. Had a chat with the pastor, he allowed me to chat with the uh, have a conversation with some of the young people there. Um, and the issues, um, not surprisingly, were very similar. <laughs> were okay. very, very um, similar. Where the, the young people there, the RCCG, for example, the, the, the churches that I visited, you know, they they talked about, you know, the, the lack of punctuality. And for them, the parents saying that the longer the service the more powerful it is because the Holy Spirit is there. Sure. Yeah, no. um, and they were getting frustrated with, with, with those as well. Um, I, I, I sort of, I, I did, when I was doing my PhD, towards the end I realized um, I, I came into the work of Rachel Adeboya, who also um, looked at um, religion and spirituality among the teenagers in, in the redeemed 
church in the UK. Yeah, oh, really? and, and that's right. You know, so okay. that that was quite interesting, and and her work is very interesting as well. Um, so because she also came to that conclusion that these young people, um, they have a sound understanding of spirituality, and sure. just not in the way their parents, um, you know, think think it is. So Redeem was the same Lighthouse. I had a, a chat with, with some of the folk from Lighthouse. And then there were a couple of independent charismatic churches that I tapped okay. into as well. Um, one, which is which is mainly Zimbabwean um, led. Another was um, Nigerian, um, mainly Nigerian, and then another Ghanaian. Sure. And the issues were, were very much the same. My, my One of my challenges was the... the some of the senior pastors were still not waking up to, and, and I say that respectfully because I know some of them might be, might be watching, um, mm-hmm. to the fact that the young people are, are disengaged. Um, it's because at the moment, the first generation, they are still in the church, still giving their tithes and offerings. But like I said to, to one of the pastors, I said, what will happen to your church in five to ten years' time, sure. You know, I said you, you, the, the influx when when that reduces, we're not getting as many people coming from Ghana now. They're coming from Europe. Um, but I said, what will happen to their children? I said, what? And, and the question I asked most of the pastors is, what provisions, what resources do you have for the young people? And I, I said, when you're preaching, who do you have in mind? And that's usually <laughs> that's usually the question that makes them stuff for a while, you know, because I came to that myself in, in our own church, you know, when I sat with the leaders at one point and, and I said, when I'm preaching, who do you think I'm preaching to? And and I brought some of the young people because every now and then the young people go out, but sometimes they stay in there. Sure. And, and, and I asked them directly, I said, do you connect to my preaching? Um, and they're very candid. And some of them said, yes, most of the time. And they says, no, sometimes we think you're preaching to the old people. You know, that's how they put it. Um, and then a few of them said, yes, sometimes we, we get it. And that transformed. So I became very conscious now that in my sermon preparations, the examples I'm using, the stories I'm using, are not only geared towards the older generation, but towards the young people who are in the church. So even if there's one person, I would make a conscious um, effort to, to cite an example that they can relate to. Sure. Um, and, and that's the challenge with, 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 the, with the leaders, that who are we preaching to in the churches? Um, you know, and, and that, that is key. Sure, sure, sure. Mm. What, 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 um, what suggestions do you have for, the, for us, for the African church in Britain? Yeah, it's for the for the the African church. I I, I cited um, the book of Chronicles. The the the, the people who um, the men of Issachar. Yes. It says that the men of Issachar they knew their time. Yes, they they had to be released. And, and that scripture um, excites me because they list all the different tribes and what they were released to do. Sure. And, and, but for the, the, the men of Issachar, they were released to impact the people of their generation. Um, and so one of the key recommendations I make in my, in my work is let's release the young people 
they know their time. They know their okay. time. Of of course, there are there are some first generation people who know the time, and mm-hmm. and I don't you know I I don't you know um, neglect or or sort of reject that. But my point is, let us get those who know their time to engage with the people of their time, with the mentoring and the support of the first generation. Um, so I talk about empowering the second generation to use the tools at their disposal to be the better Christians that God want them to be today and to be the missionaries um, that God want them to be today also in, in the church. Um, and then another thing that I mentioned also is contextualization. Sure. And so I talk about the effective and passionate you know, way that Africans pray. Um, I said, that is all good. Now let's contextualize it in terms of content and structure. So we're not saying we're going to pray less. The second generation are not going to pray less. They're going to pray even more, but then the content of prayer must change. Um, And and then I challenge the first generation to redefine the demonic in the West. So Jesus said, go out and, and cast out demons. So I believe there are demons around, but the demons in the West are not the same demons in Africa. Okay. So if you if you want to exercise demons in the West, first you need to know where the demons are, what type of demons we're fighting against. Sure. But our prayer should not always be uh, casting out demons from Africa in Europe. You sure. know, we, we need to find ways to make the gospel relevant today. Um, you know, to the church. So it's about empowering the young people, allowing the, the, the children, the men of Issachar today, the women of Issachar today in, in the West who know their time, the season that we are in to be doing it. And I mean, another thing I know time is going that I, I talk about is um, David and, and Saul. And so what David did was David did not put on the armor of Saul to fight Goliath. He used the tools that he knew best. You see, so Saul gave him the armor and David tried it on. He says, no, I can't. This is for your generation. You know, it worked with you, Saul, but Goliath, I'll fight Goliath in a different way. I'll do it the way that I, I know. And of course, when he did it the way he knew, the foundation was, he said, I come against you in the name of the Lord. So even though he took his stones and, 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 and the sling, he still did not reject, he still did not refuse the importance of the spirit of the Lord. So the second generation are fighting Goliath, but the first generation want them to fight Goliath today with their first generation armor. So I'm saying okay. to the first generation, don't give us the armor. <laughs> Just show us what the enemy is. Show us who the enemy is. We will put on the 21st century armor. And then in the name of the Lord, we'll win the fight. So that is another way that I I put this across to the church today. That the the church, the the African diaspora church, needs to allow the second generation to put on the contemporary armor and fight Goliath. Who will defeat the enemy? And in that sense then, um, I mean, what you're arguing for is not just for the African first generation, second generation. 
it is for the whole body of Christ, right? That we That's understand right. that the next generation is going to deal with a different set of issues. That's right. From what we're dealing with now. And, yes. And we can't expect them to use our weapons. No. No. No, we can't, we can't expect them to use our weapons. There are new weapons now um, that we must allow them to use those new weapons. Sure. And, and for me, the crucial thing is the foundation where Christ is the foundation, the Holy Spirit um, is active and is working. We've got different tools at, at our disposal. Sure, sure, sure. Awesome. Can you name three African theologians who have shaped you, who are shaping you, who are speaking into the issues that you're wrestling with? Yeah. Um, in terms of the, the foundation of, of all this, I mean, my old man, um, you know, has, has shaped me greatly, his works and his writings. So that's um, Prof. So Opoku Onyina. Uh, Opoku Onyina, yes. Um, Opoku Onyina, you know, he's got a huge um, repertoire of work from... Um, Pentecostal exorcism, spiritual warfare, and such works really speaking to both the African and the Western context. Sure. Um, so his, his work um, has shaped and is still um, shaping me a lot in terms of my thinking and approach. And this whole thing with the international worship centers, which he started in the Church of Pentecost, for example. Oh, really? Um, that was his work? Yeah. He, he actually initiated the whole PIWC concept. Oh, brilliant. Um, that's right, yeah. And that's revolutionized the, sure. um, the church completely. So, for example, if that is worked on properly, the church should be in a better place. Sure. Um, and, and then um, our own Afe Adogame also. Sure. Um, you know, his it's, it's work uh, is it's really helping and is helped and is shaping as well. I mean, the, the one on the African um, diaspora, um, you know, it's, 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 it's a massive one and, and it's still helping. Awesome. Um, it, it's good. And then after those two, the, I don't know if I can pick one, but, you know, I'm, uh, people like yourself, Harvey, um, you know, your, your work is, is um, increasingly becoming very important, um, you know, especially, you know, to, to those of us in the diaspora. Um, I, so, you know, I take, I take my hat off to you with the, with the work you're doing from the beginnings of Mission Africanus, um, you know, your thesis that you published, um, Roots and Wings, I think is an excellent, I, I think that there needs to be a bigger volume of that one. And it's something <laughs> that I'm, I'm proposing to work with you on, you know, because yeah. it is a huge, it's a, it's a brilliant piece of work. And I think that can be expanded so much. Um, in, in that sense. So, you know, yourself, um, mm. the work you're doing is, is, is absolutely immense. But my, my plea is we need more of, of yourself, myself, in the diaspora to write. Um, yeah. You know, it, when taking over the, the, the job here in the, in, in the PCC, yeah. um, I'm, I'm struggling now, but I'm also making a conscious effort to find the balance between the college work and then writing. Sure. Um, because I think what's happened, I spoke to um, Chike, Chike Chigo, That's um, right. a, few, a few months ago. Sure. And, and I said to him, I said, I said, you need to write more, sir, because you've got so much in you. He goes, oh, you know, the church work. I said, I'm caught up in that, but we need to write. <laughs> you know? So 
Um, I think we, we, we really need to write because uh, Professor Anderson has shaped me, my, my work and my theology a lot as well. Sure. You know, I know, yes, that, you know, whether we can claim him in that sense as, as African, you know, of course, um, the great work that he's done. So Professor Anderson's work is, is been sure. immense. Sure. But I'm, I'm just conscious that we don't keep um, going back to the, the Prophet Anderson's um, uh, Andy Wells, um, they've done great, great work, you know, you know, Professor Andrew Wells and, and all these, they've done great sure. work, but I think we need a new generation. Okay. Um, I hear you, you know, I think we need a new generation of writers where all the, the Andrew Wells, Professor Anderson, um, Opoko Nina, Professor Asamajedu, all of them, they've, they've laid a solid foundation. Asamajedu is another one whose work really has impacted sure. me. So you see the list is endless. I'm struggling to pick sure, three. Sure. But my point is they have laid a foundation. Mm-hmm. I think we now we need this there has to be this crop now coming through. Sure. Um Sheila, of course, you know, with the work that she's done and is doing, Sheila sure. Kumia, that is, we need a new generation of writers now. Um and, and that's the challenge I think we need to pick sure. up. Sure. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking time to talk with me. No problem at all. Thank Anything you. else you Wait. want to say before I let you go? Um, I, I think we, we, we've, we've spoken a lot, you know, gone um, over time. But I, I, I would encourage my colleagues, friends, the African diaspora church, let's keep doing it um, and let's keep looking at ways that we can do it better. Sure. Um, you know, in, in, in our contemporary society, that is very important. Yeah. There's hope for the church. There's hope for the African <laughs> church. <laughs> we have to be cautiously optimistic, as you've put That's it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. right. We, yeah. we can't. We can't lose hope. No, no. We need. No. We need to keep the hope alive. So. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much. Really Thank appreciate you. this. Thank, Thank you. you.